is an Odyssey original. This is KNX In-Depth. I'm Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. On the menu for today, imagine if the Omicron variant had a little brother. I don't like him. <laughs> you don't like him already, <laughs> huh? <laughs> yeah, it's a, kind of an Omicron wannabe. Well, it kind of does. Scientists are now paying attention to a, a variant. It's really kind of a sub-variant of the COVID variant. The Omicron relative is being called BA2. It's been found in Europe and now in the U.S. We'll go in depth into how much of a problem, if at all, this might be. Ethical questions being raised about a hospital refusing to perform a heart transplant until a man gets vaccinated. So far, he is refusing. And this uh, latest winter COVID surge is being fueled by Omicron, and it has hit restaurants across the state very hard. The SAT test getting a digital makeover. You don't need the number two pencil anymore. No. Uh, can it survive? And more universities and colleges are moving away from it. So can it survive that? Uh, Major League Baseball, the Hall of Fame, getting some new members after today. But will they be Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, others linked to performance enhancing drugs? Despite everybody's best efforts, more robocalls are still getting through to us. And if you're feeling down, maybe put on some bright colored clothes. We'll talk about dopamine dressing. With uh, the guy across the, the way from me here who's wearing bright orange today. Yeah, well, you're wearing, like, depressing blue. Which is my so. palette. Yeah. Well, Gray and blue. You're bringing me down, dude. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's start, though, uh, with VA2 and Omicron. With us is Robert Gary, professor of microbiology and immunology at the Tulane University School of Medicine. Doctor, thanks for being with us. So, uh, BA2. Uh, so, it's really right... I think I got it right before. It's a sub-variant of the variant, right? Well, yes, you have the Omicron variant, and then this is a, you know, an, another variant. It's split off into two different branches, basically. And in terms of levels of concern, what do we know about it? Uh, what do we think about it? Well, it's uh, called a variant of interest in some places, like the U.K. I'm not sure that the CDC has quite raised it to that level yet, but it's something to keep an eye on, um, but nothing to really be too concerned about. We've seen variants come and go. So what, what makes this distinguished from a, and I'll, again, I'll use it, maybe it's an imprecise uh, word, but a true variant? Uh, how does this differ uh, than when uh, Omicron emerged uh, after we had Delta. Yeah, so what we've seen is um, these variants, they come with a lot of different mutations, you know, changes in the um, genome of the virus, you know, the coding part of the virus. Um, and so this variant, this BA2, is, is really a lot like Omicron. And, you know, we're calling the original Omicron BA1. This is a, you know, a sub, you know, a, a, a sub, division of that one uh, in terms of the, the mutations that it has. It has some of the original mutations, maybe a few more. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of overlap. Okay. And if there is that overlap, there might be reason to think on the whole, it's not a whole lot worse than the one we've already got. That's right. You know, some of the changes, you know, we can't really predict. Uh, it's just a wait and see game. Okay, so sort of in line with that, uh, Pfizer today is saying that it is uh, uh, working at uh, testing anyway now, it's uh, specifically geared toward Omicron uh, COVID vaccine. But they're saying that it would be about a month more before they have the tests done and they would have to uh, produce all the vaccines. But the way the, the Omicron 
uh, infection rate is going in this country, it, it does seem to have peaked in many parts of the country anyway. Is this a vaccine that's likely to ever see the light of day? Um, I mean, it depends on how long Omicron sticks around. Um, and, you know, we probably have a, a, you know, a month or so or longer uh, of Omicron and maybe some of its subvariants uh, coming at us. So, you know, it's a good idea to, to make this vaccine in case it does hang out and we need it uh, down the line. Um, you know, whether it, you know, makes a difference or not down the line, uh, we'll have to see. I mean, what the important point is, is that, you know, if you get, you know, the, the two doses of the vaccine plus the booster, you're at least protected against the most serious outcomes of Omicron. So, you know, they've got something that works pretty well in the current vaccines. Uh, introducing a new one, you know, there'd have to be probably a, a, a pretty big difference. Israel is doing the official recommendation for fourth shots for you know, older groups. Thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, you know, there are vaccines that we know in the past have required multiple doses. So it it doesn't really surprise me too much that we're, you know, seeing a a situation where some countries are recommending a fourth dose of this vaccine. You know, Omicron's pretty different than the original virus as it came out. And, you know, so that little extra boost in the immunity does make a difference. So third dose, good. Maybe fourth dose, better. We'll have to see. Robert Gary, Professor of Microbiology, Immunology, the Tulane University School of Medicine. Right now, though, a man who badly needs a heart transplant and was at the front of the line at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston is no longer eligible for the transplant because he's not vaccinated against COVID. The family, upset about it, but the hospital says it is a requirement. With us is Dr. Peter Katona, Clinical Professor of Medicine and Infectious Diseases over at UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine. Doctor, thanks for being back with us. So I'm sure that some people who just heard me say that are scratching their heads going, huh, really? Uh, But is this that unusual? Well, it's one side of the spectrum. There's the issue of individual rights versus the rights of the community, rights of healthcare workers, and self-protection. So it, it falls into that category of problems. Transplant programs do come with requirements though right there need do you have to have certain vaccines for like you know immunity reasons because after your body goes through this uh you're pretty susceptible i think number one and then number two there's a whole bunch of lifestyle choices that you kind of have to line up with and be living as healthy as you can before you even are on the list to, to get something right you have to meet these criteria anyways yeah heart transplants are very complicated procedures lots of things can go wrong from all kinds of opportunistic infections to rejection issues. And each facility that actually does these procedures is going to have a whole list of protocols to follow to be eligible to get the procedure done. One of those things in the protocol is to be vaccinated in a way they think is appropriate. And that's the issue here. So is there a a way around this? Because from an ethical point of view, there's a uh, an apparent fix for this particular gentleman, which is a, a new heart. And yes, there are risks, I guess, as you just pointed out, certain in, infections and maybe being vaccinated against COVID is, is a, a medically good and sound idea. But in an imperfect world, which certainly we are all living in, uh, does there come a point where doctors have an obligation to say, well, okay, 
you know, without this heart, you're going to die in all probability and soon. So we'll take the risks if you don't want to get the COVID vaccine. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a, it's a complicated process. There are protocols to follow. And without being vaccinated, your risk of failing with a new heart is also much higher. There aren't enough hearts to go around to begin with. So you have to be selective in terms of making sure that everyone who gets a heart is going to be optimized to survive that procedure as long as possible. Right. It's not just about the body that it's going into, right? It's that the organs are scarce. So if we're, you know, basically going to give it to somebody who has a poorer chance of living than others, then we don't want the heart to, not that it would go to waste because it's going to continue this person's life potentially, but we don't want to lose out on the heart living in someone longer than, than this other person. Is that kind of along those lines? Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are so many factors here. What, what is, what is the downside of taking the vaccination? What is the upside of taking the vaccination? Huge, huge chasm difference between those things here. Um, but I think ultimately the institution has the right to demand its protocols be followed. Well, I, I guess the thing that that, that I have um, when I heard about the story earlier, difficulty getting my head around is that that here you have a patient who is clearly willing to undertake the risks of a heart transplant, but not a COVID vaccination. I find that odd. Do you? Very bizarre. The way these things have kind of rolled themselves out is is hard to understand or appreciate. It it makes no sense at all. The procedure is far, far riskier than taking the vaccination. Dr. Peter Katona, Clinical Professor of Medicine in Infectious Diseases, UCLA's Geffen School of Medicine. Coming up, we are going to find out if big-time players like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens get into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame despite connections to performance-enhancing drugs. Now, if they get in, what does that mean about the integrity of the sport? And do you find yourself feeling better wearing that bright shirt or dress and wild-looking outfit? There is a science behind it. Right now, we know this whole pandemic has hit the economy hard. New survey shows just how much the Omicron surge has hit the restaurants in the state. California Restaurant Association finding nearly 90% experienced a decline in customer demand for indoor on-premises dining in recent weeks. More than half have had to reduce their hours. Greg Smith, co-owner of the Smith Brothers Restaurant Corporation based in Pasadena. Greg, thanks for being here. So given this surge and all that's come before it, uh, how are you guys doing? You wearing thin after two years of this? Um, two years has been an awfully long time. You know, you're up and down and up and down. You're open, close, furlough, hire back, furlough, hire back. Uh, don't wear a mask, wear a mask. Don't wear just one mask, wear two masks. Um, it's been maddening, but, but we're, um, we, we're all about the safety of our guests and the safety of our staff. And uh, we are keeping our places um, sanitized and and um, extremely clean. And uh, we're, yeah, we're just we're just uh, trying to make it through all this. What about workers? Can you find any? Uh, workers have been <laughs> workers have been a big problem. Um, it's a it's a constant struggle. 
Um, we're fairly well hired up now, but it's taken a long time to get there. Um, yeah, so I mean that's 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 been a big issue. What about like keeping the shifts the way they're supposed to be staffed? Given you know the last month, you've had people calling out; they get sick, they got to stay home for the week, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, and you know, and then we're down one, or then we're down two, and then and then we have to maybe close a station or two. Um, yeah, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. I'll tell you that for sure. Or you know, or our fellow restaurateurs, fellow uh, fellow retailers. Uh, it's yeah, it's been a tough situation for everyone. I would imagine you can't plan really anything, can you? Because you don't know if. You know, the Omicron variant's going to go away and another variant's going to come back. Or if, uh, you know, now, you know, you were mentioning we went from one mask to, to more significant masks. And maybe the next step will be everyone should be in a hazmat suit. How, how do you how do you plan? <laughs> well, now, uh, as of, I think, the 17th of this month, everyone is in an N95 or a KN95 and and um, I guess, to my knowledge, those are surgical masks. And uh, and so all of our, our staff are wearing the 95s. In terms of, you know, customer volume, the diners coming in, have you seen that? Do you think people are just kind of spooked because we're in the middle of the surge and then maybe you're hoping let's just get further into February and, and people will be feeling better about coming out to eat again? Yeah, our, our business is... Um, definitely down uh, since the Omicron. Um, so we're just, we're just trying our, our best to follow the rules and, and uh, just kind of hang in there. Do you ever, uh, do you ever wish you were in a different business? <laughs> well, I've only been doing this for 50 years, my brother. <laughs> and, He's going to stick with so, it. So it's too late now to change. <laughs> right. It's a little too late now to change. All right. But, but you know, yes, we have been affected. Uh, no question about it. Have we been, you know, affected um, tremendously? Probably not. But um, it's uh, it, it, it certainly isn't pleasant. All right. Well, we're glad you're hanging in. Greg Smith, co-owner of the Smith Brothers Restaurant Corporation, based in Pasadena. This is KNX In-Depth with Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. The SAT getting a major makeover, going all digital, and it's going to be cut from three hours to two. It's a rollout to American students, and it's going to roll out to American students in 2024. And it comes as many universities like UCs are no longer requiring the test. So is this the end of the SAT? Bob Schaefer is executive director of Fair Test, which was also known as the National Center for Fair and Open Testing. Bob, thanks for being with us. So uh, I'm sure a lot of uh, you know students out there who might be listening to this are going, yeah, this is going to be the end finally of the SAT, is it? Well, test optional admissions and score-free admissions as practiced at the University of California are the new normal. Today's announcement by the College Board about the new digital SAT 
is an attempt to refurbish their fading brand and keep it relevant. Um, it's unclear whether it will work. But for all students in high school right now, save for freshmen, the same, if they want to take the SAT, it will be the same old pencil and paper test. And for most of those students, schools will not require tests. If you're a senior or a junior in high school right now, the vast majority of colleges and universities in the U.S. do not require an SAT or the rival NACT score. So then why would you take it? I mean, just throw it in with all the rest of your stuff and hope they well, look at I it? Mean, you know, I mean, is that how that, it kind of works, that they'll add it that's in? That's a great question. Some students believe that if they get a super high score on the SAT, it might offset a mediocre uh, grades and, and course rigor. But colleges know that those latter factors, how well you do in high school courses, courses are a stronger predictor of undergraduate success. So kids who believe that are, are being misled. What's the most important in the admissions process is having a strong track record in high school grades, uh, course rigor, leadership, community service, extracurricular activities. Colleges want to see strong, holistic applications, not just how well you fill in bubbles uh, on a computer or on pencil and paper on a Saturday morning. Why did it take so long for universities and colleges to get to this point? Well, it, you know, first of all, there were many colleges, more than nearly 1,100, uh, that were test optional or test blind pre-pandemic. For example, Pitzer in, in the greater L.A. area did not require tests for the last decade or so. And before the pandemic set in, many highly selective colleges like the University of Chicago, Wake Forest, uh, Brandeis, uh, George Washington, had also eliminated test score requirements. The University of California process was underway, the process that led to them eliminating standardized tests even before the pandemic. But the pandemic accelerated everything because kids couldn't take tests even if they wanted to. Many test centers were closed and still are um, in California because of health risks. Um, Many students don't want to go into a center if it's open because of contamination concerns. And that led another 700 colleges to suspend tests. And many of them have seen that it works. When schools drop test scores, they typically get more applicants, better academically qualified applicants, and more diversity of all sorts. So it's a win for them, as well as for the high school students who no longer have to waste the time and money to take a relatively pointless test. Yeah. Uh, Do the test makers score any brownie points for trying to make it I won't say easier, but like less stressful because that's the whole cut it down from three to two thing, because this was never a fun thing for anybody. No one was like um, super stoked to go and be, I'm going to take this test. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're repackaging it in from a marketing perspective. The students has a number of positives from the student. If you're going to take the test perspective, it will be two hours long instead of over three. Students will get their scores a bit more quickly. Some of the longer, more tedious reading passages are going to be eliminated. But the truth is, you don't need a test, either pencil and paper or digital, to get into most colleges. And those admissions officers don't need test scores to make fair and accurate decisions. Bob Schaefer, Executive Director of Fair Test.
We're finding out today who will be the newest members of the prestigious Major League Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. But the vote results could be controversial, depending upon who does and who doesn't get in. Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Sammy Sosa, all eligible, have the numbers worthy of entry, but have been linked to performance-enhancing drugs, marred baseball toward the end of the 90s, the early part of this century. What happens if they get in? Should they get in? With us is Jessica Klein-Schmidt, sports host, writer, and former Oakland A's reporter for NBC Sports Bay Area. Also, Bob Nightingale, Major League Baseball columnist for USA Today, Hall of Fame voter. Thanks to you both. Uh, Bob, you're a voter, so you know this well. We're in this uh, here-we-go-again scenario, right? And time running out for some of these guys because it'll be like the last ballot. We have these arguments. Don't let them in because of the history or let them in because it's part of history and we'll be an asterisk anyway. Uh, what do we do in this situation? Well, I say let them in because it is part of history. I mean, Barry Bonds, you can argue, you know, one of the greatest and not the greatest hitter of all time. Roger Clemens, perhaps the greatest right-handed pitcher in the last hundred years. Remember now, before 2005, there was no steroid testing, no penalties, nothing. It was a wild, wild west. So I think guys like Bonds and Clemens and you go down to you know, Sammy Sosa, Gary Sheffield should be in where as after 2005, when there was rules in place, guys like Alex Rodriguez and Manny Ramirez uh, violated those and were suspended several times. I don't think they belong. Jessica, do you uh, agree with with uh, what Bob just said? And and if you if you do agree with it, then I'm curious, what about the the notion about examples need to be made? Yeah, I completely agree, and and I like how Bob's over the years stuck to bringing his votes of Bonds um, and Clemens. I think that's super imperative to think about as well. And I think it kind of shows that. I mean, hoping we can have more of a tick and of course it's the last season but to show that we're opening up to this transition and and like bob mentioned you know with the tests previously and you have people wanting to vote in the guys like ortiz there kind of doesn't make it an even uh call across the board so i'm right there with them and i think it's just time we're it's an old it's a lazy kind of situation that we're going through now i think it's just time to bring these guys in you know i remember growing up the one guy that could make me stop what i'm doing and change the channel during it bat was barry bonds and that's just something that goes above and beyond those numbers bob what have the hall said over the years about this if much of anything and does some of it come down to how they see themselves or how people look from the outside? I mean, is it like a special place where steroid users should not belong? Or is it literally, like we said, history? Here's a museum. And in museums, you give the good and the bad and everything in between. Well, originally they stayed away from it and said, you know, your writers decide. And then they came up with the uh, rules. Instead of being on the ballot for 15 years, they shortened to 10 years. Uh, kind of, you know, cutting off the, uh, the steroid class of players. And then in 2017, Joe Morgan, who was on the board of directors of the Hall of Fame, sent letters out to uh, all of us and said, uh, please don't vote for the steroid guys. So they kind of made their intentions known. But, you know, as Jessica knows, we voted plenty of steroid guys in the Hall of Fame in past years just because there wasn't a paper trail or anything like that. We all, we all had eyes and knew about the performance. Um, you know, why are we keeping out the two greatest players of their era, which just happened to be the steroid era in Bonds and Clemens? Well, uh, how about this argument, though, that that it's not as if 
you're talking about keeping them out because of some personal indiscretion they had, say, that had nothing to do with their performance on the field. And you say, well, you know, look, it really didn't impact what they were doing, and they were great players, and they deserve to be in the Hall of Fame by virtue of that fact. I mean, we're talking about activity that directly impacted their ability to do their job enhanced, apparently, their ability to do their job. So they were faking it. And I get what you're saying about, well, that happened in the past. We just either didn't know it or couldn't prove it. But I guess the question is, so what? Now that you do know, why not act on that knowledge? Well, I just think it's too, uh, you know, it, it's, it's too late. We already have Hall of Famers in there that, that were uh, steroid users. We've, you know, used a uh, greenies and amphetamines. So, you know, the, the bottom line is these guys weren't punished. They weren't suspended a day. They weren't fined a nickel. And uh, it was wild, wild west out there. I mean, when they had the uh, anonymous drug testing in 2003, all the players knew you're going to get tested in spring training and still 104 guys tested positive. If they didn't know when the testing was, was coming, there might've been 500 guys who tested positive. Uh, I think it's very similar to what happened this past year when pitchers were using the spider tech and different grips on baseballs. Uh, you know, every new was illegal, but nobody cared. There was no punishment for it. And as soon as major league baseball cracked down, you saw that go away. Jessica, why do you think more of the writers of voters don't think like you two, if you were to venture a guess? Is it this, you know, that the, the character clause is still part of the, the ranking? Or is that just an easy excuse to fall back on? Because there are other people in there with their statues that have pasts that aren't related to steroids and aren't exactly like A-plus character models. Yeah, and I and I for sure understand the character clause, but I also have talked to a lot of writers, and they're, I don't want to say they're ignoring it, but we have the people that are saying, well, you know what, Kurt Schilling acts a certain way off the field, but his numbers say a different story. However, it is written in the, the guidelines to pay attention to that, so it kind of depends on if you want to rebel against it. And Bob, Bob makes a good point as far as the definition of PEDs. You know, a lot of people don't, don't understand that performance-enhancing drugs is more than just what the HGHs of the world. He mentioned the greenies. He mentioned, you know, Babe Ruth was, he was, he was drinking all the time. Not saying that's necessarily, I mean, that could be looked at as an enhancer of certain aspects as well. And, and it's such a broad scenario. And if you look at the list of the things they are not allowed to ingest, it doesn't just contain HGH. It's a qu- quite a list of things. So I, I personally, I don't have a vote and I'm kind of thankful for that. Bob can also attest like how crappy the mentions end up being on Twitter because of it. But I do know that it does, it is a a personal situation that I believe it should be taken out into certain aspects um, because you want to make it a little bit more even across the board with the numbers and everything like that. And then you drag in, well, Pete Rose deserves to be in it and people want to compare and contrast and, and all of that. So I think it is kind of a, a situation that should be thought about, but I do not think you should base your vote strictly on what a guy does off the field. Jessica Kleinschmidt, sports host, writer, former Oakland A's reporter, NBC Sports Bay Area, Bob Nightingale, Major League Baseball columnist for USA Today, Hall of Fame voter. Thanks to you both. This is KNX In-Depth. He's Mike Simpson. I'm Charles Feldman. 
few things, uh, if there's anything, are worse than the uh, robocalls. As annoying as those. I got one like 20 minutes ago. Yeah, and I, I know. Said, you, oh, if this was just timed me. a little bit differently, it would be happening yes. right in the middle of the robocall segment. Don't worry. You'll get another one. I know, right? Scam likely. Uh, despite the tech to help block them, they are still getting through. Data from Atlas VPN finds that people in the U.S. got more than 50 billion robocalls in 2021. And that's a... 10% increase from 2020. California was among the most affected states. Why can't these calls be stopped? George Slover is senior policy counsel at Consumer Reports. George, why can't they be stopped? Well, um, the uh, the fundamental problem is that uh, with the technology that is available, we'll call it the offensive technology that the uh, robocallers are using, it's just so inexpensive to make um, a boatload of these calls, and it's so profitable for them uh, in the large numbers that um, it's irresistible. So they are going to continue to have the incentive to do this as long as they can. So uh, it's being combated on two fronts. One of those fronts is to strengthen the law against uh, on unconsented to calls and texts. The other is to uh, develop defensive technology to identify and um, capture uh, the calls that are um, of spam or scam, the ones that are not legitimate. So that's not going to deal with the uh, um, with the uh, calls from telemarketers and uh, debt collectors, the people who have. Um, what they believe is a legitimate reason to call and is a legal reason to call. Um, those can, though, be um, identified and stopped if uh, consumers want to trigger the technology that uh, puts uh, that that creates a uh, whitelist that blocks all calls that aren't on your approved list. So that's one way to do it. But um, we'll get into that in a minute if you like. But the um, the uh, the, the efforts um, for um, uh, legal, um, le- you know, addressing this in the law are uh, those two that I mentioned. Yeah, how do, you, how do you even uh, go after these guys, though, if you can't find them or if they're coming from out of the country and it just looks like they're using our numbers or they've, they've bought them or they're using these systems, but they don't even they're, they're not even originating from around here? Well, that's the that's what the uh, Trace Act is supposed to uh, enable is the identification of those uh, calls and the diversion or blocking of them. So that system just went into effect in June. It's making a dent. It's still being implemented. The uh, larger uh, telephone uh, service providers were able to implement it more quickly. Some of the smaller ones are still getting uh, up to speed. So it's going to take a while until it's fully implemented. And then we're just going to have to see if they caught everything. Um, you know, it's going to be a um, a cat and mouse game, I think. Yeah. Why does it catch some and not others? You know, Mike just mentioned he got one, uh, what, maybe about a half hour ago. Scam likely. And it said spam likely. And I've gotten those. But then every now and then you get one where you're not 100 percent sure. And sometimes you say, oh, what the heck? And you it's answer always it. always using your area code. Yeah. Too. And yeah. then it turns out to be some hotel that I never want to stay at telling me how I want to stay there. Right, or the Social Security Administration oh, yes. telling you that you need to give them all of your private uh, passwords and a Social Security oh, number. Oh, that's so a scam! I did that. I did that, la- that. I did that yeah. last week. Oh my! Call you. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, but why why does it catch some and not and not the others? Uh, well, uh, the technology is still developing, and people are looking for. You know, it's hard to to build something that's watertight, and so the um, the spammers and the scammers are still looking for ways to get those through, and they're not getting um, identified all of them like they should. I think over time, the technology to uh, identify and block those calls is going to get better, and the spammers and scammers are going to keep looking for ways to uh, get through somehow. George Slover, Senior Policy Counsel, Consumer Reports. So I got up this morning, had to go to the dentist, so I was like really in a down mood. So I instinctively or whatever, I reached for this bright orange hoodie that yeah. I'm wearing now. The construction crew. Yeah, uniform. and I you know, I practically danced into the dentist's That's office. Right. Yeah, it was like, you know, lay that drill on me, dude. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. Uh, there's a term for what you're doing, dopamine dressing. USA Today describing it as wearing joyful attire full of color that boosts your mood. Is there something behind this scientifically, or do they just want to sell more bright clothes or polka dots or flowers? Lee Richardson, brain health coach and founder of the Brain Performance Center. Lee, thanks for being with us. Uh, is there something behind it. Absolutely. Our brain associates color with temperature. And anytime you wear something bright red, that increases your pituitary and your adrenal glands. That increases your metabolism. So if you're thinking about going on a diet and getting that diet going, put on that bright red hoodie. So like I said, uh, I'm wearing this bright orange. Uh, Mike's wearing this drab gray blue. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's you know it's gray it's blue. a nice shirt yeah, but it's gray and and but i blue. like the shirt yeah but what does that what does that do to him psychologically well now let's stop and think about that it's not just color it could be the texture of the material that he likes he likes the way it feels it could be a, a pattern that he likes so there's more to that feel good than just the color yeah i was gonna say what if like bright colors are not my thing because they're not everybody's thing so i'm like gray and blue and black this is my palette but if someone goes it's out palette, it's gray and blue yeah it, this is my area that i operate okay, in. okay. i'm never going to wear red all right i'm not going to wear yellow because i'd feel funny walking around in that but if i feel good walking around in this and i like the clothes then am i getting the same kind of dopamine hit well, you're not getting that extra dopamine hit because, you know, dopamine is a neurotransmitter. And anytime that you do something and you, I like doing this, I like wearing this hot pink jacket, that makes more dopamine come. And then it keeps coming and coming. So if you're wearing your, you know, if you're wearing your nice, safe, comfortable blues and grays and blacks, you're in your comfort zone. But I don't know what that's doing to kick up the dopamine. So I'm wearing the bright orange. So I'm like filled with dopamine. Are you? <laughs> I was going to say, he doesn't seem... <laughs> Most days on this show, we can pick out the one. <laughs> it's not him. Um, so, bright colors, yes, fit, maybe. Is this also just about going outside and, and feeling good? And maybe more people are noticing this because, I don't know, it's been two years of being down, and now it's still January, February, and it's winter, but you're going to put on something that makes you pop a little bit and go outside and try and feel better? I think there is some truth to that. I think if you've been stuck in these gray sweats or brown sweats, whatever, if you've been stuck in these sweats for the last 18 months and you're tired of looking at yourself in them, you know, you just say, I need to, 
I need to brighten up. It will just feel good. It would feel fun. It would feel exciting to put on something that's, you know, maybe a little different for me, maybe a little walk on the wild side for me, but that's exciting. And so many people go to social media and Pinterest reports that if you're looking for an electric blue suit, there are 140% more people looking for that today than there was a couple of months ago. <laughs> is, is it just the clothing you wear? What about surroundings? Like, suppose your office is like all in, I don't know, like white and brown. Well, if that makes you, you know, white is purity, white is perfection. And, and, Brown, I think, is more grounding, more at home. I think it depends on where, where do you need your energy, your work energy to be? Because my work energy is different than my personal energy. Yeah, but I guess to the idea is like if you have super drab surroundings, you can wear your polka dots. Are you going to feel better? Because yeah. you're still surrounded by, you know, dusty old workplace. <laughs> well, you're certainly going to stand out more. And you're probably going to get more attention. And for a lot of people, attention makes them feel better. So is this something, by the way, that it works regardless of gender? I think it does. I'm thinking, you know, the, the male brain and the female brain, how they're different. But I think that the neurotransmitters are neurotransmitters. Dopamine's dopamine, whether you're male or female. Is something like this along the lines of you know all the old studies that say if you force yourself to smile more your brain's going to notice if you force yourself outside and look at the birds and the flowers and be grateful your brain's going to notice because it's all connected right so smile a lot and you're going to think you're happy and it's going to make you a little bit happier well and it does make you a little bit happier i mean it's it's nice to catch a, a glimpse of yourself with a smile on your face instead of a big fr upside down frown. <laughs> Do you think that that fashion designers are are they cognizant of this uh, or or not? Do you think? Oh, absolutely, they are. You know, fashion designers uh, they're into the social media, they're into the Pinterest. Pinterest says that it, it predicted. Eight out of 10 of the 2021 trends. So certainly they're looking at that. And, you know, they're looking at the bright colors they see on social media. And it probably, and it's exciting. I got on Pinterest just to get ready to talk to you guys. So I was like, wow, this is exciting to see all this. So are, 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 outfit inspiration. So are you wearing like something really colorful now? <laughs> No, I'm wearing black. <laughs> no. <laughs> this is a professional interview, Charles. We're wearing black. Uh, but thank you, thank you. But are we going to go to department stores or look online in the next few months? Because they know, and if we're going to get out of this pandemic, hopefully, we're doing this roaring twenties thing. Everyone's going to be wearing bright, fun clothes because we had to deal with all this for two years. So now let's go out there and and look our best. Is that where you know fashion's going for a few years? I think it. Well, I don't know about for a few years, but I think it is this year. I think people are wanting to express themselves. People are wanting to, to be free. People are wanting to be creative. And certainly color and dress is one way that you can do it. Lee Richardson, brain health coach, founder of the Brain Performance Center. See, now tomorrow, wear something like red. You'll feel different. Eh. You will. Yeah. Trust, trust me. Buy something red. I'm going to walk around going, 
I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> I give it a try. Give it a try. All right. Okay, orange sweatshirt. And, and I'll you wear red, I'll wear drab, like, yeah. gray. Let me go buy something red. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.